Talk Radio 96.7. All right, put down the cards and the backgammon boards. It's time to talk sports because we are in the Ozone. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. They turn scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. We're talking sports. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. If you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. Coach Joe, how about them Rays? They sweep the Colorado Rockies in a really exciting game last night. Did you watch the game? Uh, no, last night, no, I was not. I, happy birthday again to my daughter, Alex. We were out at dinner last night, all of us, and I uh, didn't get to see the Rays play, but I understand it was a pretty good game, and they won handily. Maybe the most atrocious call I've seen in the replay era. It was a play at first base. The first baseman's drawn off the bag, and this is a game-winning play. If the runner is ruled safe, game's over, Rays win. They show the replay – and it's clear that his foot is six inches off the base when he catches the ball. It goes to New York, and I don't know if those guys had already started their two-martini lunch early <laughs> or what, but somehow, some way, they ruled him out. You have to look this up. It's the most – I don't know how anybody could look at replay and call the guy out. I'm not a Rays fan, you know. I mean, as it turned out, it didn't matter because the Rays won in their half of the 10th inning anyway in walk-off fashion. But it does matter in that I don't know how you can be that incompetent and miss a call like that. Oh, sure you can. But, but yeah. <laughs> it just goes to show you, and, and I've always felt this way, I, overall replay has been a positive thing. But – if you think that replay is the answer to all of our problems, it, it only creates a different set of controversies. Uh, and, and this happens in a, any sport that has replay. And, and sometimes uh, some sports get it right with replay. Hockey, you can you know, it's very limited in its use, and you can pretty well tell one way or the other uh, when something egregiously wrong happens. Uh, other sports like basketball rely on replay way too much, way too much, and it just— brings the game to a grinding halt. Uh, so uh, football gets it about right in terms of you have to challenge certain things and then certain plays are automatically reviewed and then you bring it to the referee's attention if there's a possibility that anybody got it wrong. In baseball, you think it'd be fine with the limited challenges and stuff, but no, nah, it's it's not the answer. It's, things still get messed up, and, and it's amazing how bad some umpires are. And they, they stick around year after year. And I'm not trying to single out anybody, Angel Hernandez, but I'm just talking about <laughs> in general that, uh, that you know, they're human beings. But, the, but if, you know, when you start getting the replay, sometimes I think, you know, most of the time umpires seem to get it right. But if they're relying too much on replay, then it kind of affects the dynamics of the game a little bit. And it becomes something that uh, umpires might lean on as a crutch, you know, make a call a certain way, figuring, well, if I'm wrong, they'll, they'll overturn it. Right. Well, this was a win or lose call. Right. Yeah. And and it's you'd think they'd be on top of it, especially if it was was obvious. But you know, it's hard to tell. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to pick on umpires too much because I think I think too many people do that overall. Umpiring is hard as long as they're uh, you know there's bad ones. If you if you can move them along, get them out of the way, then fine. But 
Uh, I, I believe the game is decided most of all by the players. But but uh, no, re- replay is is going to supposed to fix things like what you saw, but sometimes it doesn't. You know, it's uh, I don't know. You know, we uh, it, nobody's been hurt by bad calls more than the teams that we root for. I think that's a documented fact. <laughs> <laughs> oh so, man! But uh, and replay doesn't seem to have helped that. And I know everybody feels that way the same. The you know. Uh, those of you who think that the referees are out to get your team, you know, stop that. That's just wrong think. They're only out to get my team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, on this date in 2022, Lynn Dawson, the Hall of Fame quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, passed away. And uh, he was the first pick of the Steelers in the 19, I think it was 57 draft. Out of Purdue. Yeah, out of Purdue. Yeah. And he had an assistant coach. He he almost went to Ohio State. There was an assistant coach at Purdue by the name of Hank Stram. I've heard of him. Yeah, he <laughs> would play a little role in his career a little later with the Chiefs. Well, uh, he's he's with the Steelers. He's not doing all that great. So they acquire Hall of Famer Bobby Lane. And so Dawson languishes there, and then they pick up this some guy named Unitas, and they cut him too. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know that's why Pittsburgh was terrible until Chuck Knoll came along, and that's this was one of the reasons why. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm getting ready. Yeah, all these guys who turned out to be great players, ex Steeler, ex Steeler, ex Steeler. Yeah, oh, oh, there was a bunch of them, and uh, you know, Dawson, Super Bowl MVP of the 1970 Chiefs, and um, you know he he won a championship for the then Dallas Texans over the Houston Oilers, who had been the champions of the AFL. In a thrilling double overtime game, is that sixty-two maybe? I think it was sixty-two. I think uh, you know. I know that that uh, uh, it was sixty-two because I think in sixty-three, gosh, you're really testing my my knowledge of of the old AFL. But didn't didn't uh, Buffalo George... win one of those years? And uh, the the Texans won once, and then the Oilers didn't they win as well? At some they point? won uh, maybe the first couple with George Blanda. Yeah. Charlie Tolar, that little fullback, was like 5'7 and about yeah. 215 pounds. And, uh, man, they. The, the, yeah, in the initial year, those first two, three years of the AFL, you know, things looked a lot different than they eventually did for the rest of the decade. You know, you had the uh, New York Titans, for example. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah. Although, yeah, for those of you who are kind of young, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I know you're thinking, well, that's where they are now, but <laughs> they left Los Angeles in the, around uh, 60 years ago, and then they just returned, what, two or three years ago. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Looked a lot different then, yeah. including the uh, the Texans, yeah, who, who were not in Houston. They were in Dallas. <laughs> exactly, and you might want to remember that. You just never know. It could be valuable later on. Um, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Three-shadowing. <laughs> I'll raise you another shadow. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, it's also Cal Ripken's birthday today, and I know that uh, Dr. Michael Ean got to see him play in uh, for the 83 World Champion Oilers. Or Oilers. <laughs> Orioles. He was quite the multi-sport athlete. <laughs> but no, he never played in the NFL. Yeah, no, that's true. You that's met the Edmonton Oilers, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. You know, I had somebody tell me, said, oh, you know what, Ripken's overrated. He never would have made it if it hadn't been for the streak. What are you talking about? <laughs> the guy hit 
400 home runs as a short shortstop third baseman, and he had 3,000 hits. If he'd only played in two consecutive games, he still would have made the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, no, but Ripken was, a, in his generation, as good of infielder. We call him shortstop or third baseman. He was great at both and just a tremendous hitter. He did everything well. And, there, you know, he didn't just play every day because he was durable. Played every day because he was good. Yeah. He couldn't afford to keep him out of the lineup. And he was unusually tall for a shortstop. Yeah, I know, but he had incredible range. He was a great he fielder. He did, and eventually he moved over to, to third. But uh, that guy was – he was great. in class, oh, just the guy personified class in my book. Yeah. Yeah, before before Alex Rodriguez did it, Cal Ripken <laughs> did it, moving from short over to third. <laughs> yeah. Well, was it because of uh, Mike, Mike Lynn? Was it Bell, Bellinger who uh, who displaced him at short? Mark Belanger? I don't remember. I thought Belanger came before him. Before yeah, I was thinking short. he was before him. Yeah. Who, who replaced him at short? I don't remember. Hmm. We'll have to look that up. But um, we will do that. When I <laughs> when I was following the team uh, in person, he was the shortstop, and he was spectacular. The 83 year, which the World Series year, was his second year. Was I believe he was a rookie in '82, and his dad had been the manager yeah. previously, Cal yeah. Ripken Senior, yeah. and his brother was on that team, Billy too. Ripken. Was he on that team in '83, no. or he came he came later? <laughs> he, he was not on. I, the, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to offend your sensibilities. <laughs> no, and she ripped that mic right out of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> he was not on the World Series. I don't think Billy Ripken. I think he came later. He came uh, I don't remember him on the World that. Series team. <laughs> that got her going. Ripken, Ripken. All right. Well, let's go ahead and rip off a break here. <laughs> You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe and the highly destructive Dr. Michael Lean. On Dr. Talk Michael Radio, Lean Smash. Ninety-six point seven W. Okay. <laughs> Hi, this is Charlie Ward, 1993 Heisman winner and NBA alum. You're listening to Ronnie O, Coach Joe in the Ozone. Ozone. Oh, yeah. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. They turn scrap metal into cash. Earlier this evening, Ronnie O caught up with Bill Riley, the voice of the Utah Utes. It's our distinct pleasure to have with us the voice of the Utah Utes, Mr. Bill Riley. Bill, welcome back to the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. Guys, how are we doing tonight? Fantastic. It's just Ronnie O right now because we couldn't afford Coach Joe at the same time. Uh, Utah <laughs> Utes are going to take on the Florida Gators in Rice-Eccles Stadium next Thursday night, a week from tonight. What's the buzz out there? Well, the buzz out here is a lot of excitement in the final year of the Pac-12, Ron. And, you know, it kicks off with the Gators, and Utah is trying to do something nobody's done in the Pac-12 era. That's go to back to back to back with conference championships. But they're not really worried about that for Thursday. They're more worried about beating Billy Napier and the Gators after they kind of kind of let a couple get away last year in the swamp. Yeah, the Gators were very fortunate to win that football game. And what everybody wants to know is, will Cam Rising and Brant Keithy play? What What's the latest on that? Well, I want to know that too, Ron. <laughs> I'm the play-by-play guy. Uh, as of right now, they're practicing, but they're not cleared for contact. So um, I talked to Cam Rising yesterday, and he felt you know good about everything. He's doing everything in practice except for the contact part of it, which – you know, it's kind of important when it comes to playing Division One Power Five football. 
Um, but they're hoping that he's, he's still hoping. And I said, hey, you know, how do you feel? He goes, I feel great. I said, is there still a chance to get cleared? He said, there's still a chance I get cleared, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. So they've been sinking all the reps into their number two guy. That's Nate Johnson, the redshirt freshman, elite 11 quarterback out of Fresno, and Bryson Barnes, who's been kind of the backup extraordinaire the last couple of years. And those guys have been getting most of the reps. In the, in, the, in the team stuff, but, but Cam's still been out there doing everything. It's just a matter of will the doctors clear him. Not had any setbacks in his rehab process. He's about seven and a half months removed from that ACL surgery he had just after the uh, Rose Bowl last year. So he's in great spirits. He's keeping a positive attitude, but, you know, it's not up to him and it's not up to Kyle Whittingham. It's up to the doctors at this point in time. So I know about as much as you do right now, my friend. <laughs> well, you know, I think people are overlooking the fact that Bryson Barnes, the walk-on pig farmer, is uh, a guy who has started a game and did very well against Penn State in the Rose Bowl. He, he's not a guy that has never played before. Well, last year, I don't know, you, you may or may not remember this, uh, they played on a Thursday night up in Pullman against Washington State. And, and it was a week or so after the USC game, and Cam, Cam was a little dinged up in that USC game. And he went out for four pregame warm-ups, did everything. And about 45 minutes before kickoff, he came back in the locker room and told the coaches he didn't feel right. So Bryson Barnes, who had not gotten very many reps at all that week, had 45 minutes notice. He was the starting quarterback and led him to a win on the road against Washington State. And you obviously highlighted both Rose Bowl appearances. He threw the touchdown against Ohio State that nearly got him a win. And obviously played a half after rising got hurt last year. So he's got experience. Nate Johnson, the other quarterback is an elite athlete. I mentioned he was an elite 11 finalist when he was in high school. He's a 10, 500 guy. Uh, if you're looking for a, a, a comparison in his game, and I'm not telling you he's this guy yet, but body type and skill set. If you remember Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA, yes. who's now with the Cleveland Browns, he's got a very similar skill set and body type. Now, He's not as polished yet because he's a redshirt freshman, but that's kind of the style athlete he is, is a real dual threat with his arm and his legs. And again, you'll probably see him next Thursday in some way, shape, or form, either as a rotation thing or whatever, if Cam Rising isn't cleared to play. Well, somebody that Lakeland people are really interested in is Jalen Glover, who played at Lake Gibson High School here. And I understand he had a good spring at running back for the Utes. Yeah, folks in Lakeland are going to see Jalen next Thursday night. Obviously, as if he stays healthy over the next week, he's had a good fall camp too. They're they're deep. Utah's real deep at running back. If Wyndon Jackson is their number one, Makai Bernard's probably their number two. They're both a little bit older than Jalen, but Jalen's firmly the number three tailback. And Utah, especially if they're without Rising, will probably rely pretty heavily on the run. So um, he's he's in great shape. You know, a year ago when they played at the Swamp, he didn't play because just wasn't the right quite setting yet, but he got some good reps at times last year. Um, he had a really good springs, had a really good fall camp. So the folks in Lakeland, they'll, they'll see Jalen. He'll be wearing number one, playing tailback, all five foot seven of him <laughs> and 210 pounds. He's a, he's a bowling ball, as you guys know, but he's, he's going to be a nice part of this Utah run game this year. My goodness. You know, I think Kyle Whittingham may be one of the most underrated coaches in all of college football. Only Kirk Ferentz has a longer tenure than Kyle Whittingham. This guy is a tough man's man, great football coach. Tell us a little bit about what you know about his style of coaching. Well, uh, Kyle and I have worked together for the better part of the last 15 years. 
really 17 if you go back before I was play-by-play voice. 15 is play-by-play man and 17 doing coaches shows. So um, he's what you, what you see is what you get. I mean, there's, he's, an, he's a no-nonsense guy. People like to call him old school Ron, and he is some of that. He grew up in a coaching household. His dad was a fantastic college and, and NFL coach. Um, he was obviously grew up in the Lavelle Edwards tree, played BYU football at BYU. Um, he's good friends still with Urban Meyer, who was obviously at Florida and out here at Utah. But he, he's just a really smart, well-adapted football coach who's got some old-school roots, but he's done a really nice job adapting over the years. And, he, and again, no nonsense. He's a what-you-see-is-what-you-get what you guy. He's not a guy that plays games. He doesn't toy with the media. You know, play, he's, he's got a players-run program. He's had this culture set in place for 19 years. And when you do that, it's, it becomes kind of a players-run locker room. But he's got a pretty well-oiled machine out here, and it's, it's his program now. He's the winningest coach in Utah football history. Wow. He, I really admire that guy. He, I really look up to him as a coach. Um, last year, everybody wondered, is the Florida heat and humidity going to have any impact on the use? This year, how much impact will the 4,200 feet above sea level uh, have on the Gators? Um, it will have an effect. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You see it when the, you know, when the schools from sea level come up and play. It has an effect. It's just something that you have to live here for a couple of months to acclimate your lungs and your system to. There's no sleeping in hyperbaric chambers or anything <laughs> like that. You just you can't you can't simulate it. So it'll have an impact. But usually, what teams do is, and I don't know where Florida is with their depth at this point in time. But if you've got a little bit of depth, you'll rotate a lot of guys through. But players for Utah will say they see it. You know, it's usually, you know, somewhere late in the first half and somewhere about mid-quarter, that altitude kind of takes hold a little bit. And you kind of see guys bending over and kind of grabbing for their for grabbing for their knees and stuff like that. It's, but I'll say the same thing I always say. I said the same thing last year, Ron, with humidity. Altitude doesn't beat them, and humidity doesn't beat anybody either. The Utes are going to beat the Gators, or the Gators are going to be the, you beat the Utes. Will altitude impact it a little bit? Maybe. But it's more about the guys on the field than it is anything else. The more talent the team generally wins. I've never seen altitude credited by a coach or a player for winning a game out here. Last question for you, Bill. I know you're a busy man. The line has come down from around 10 to Utah by four and a half. Do you think Las Vegas knows something about who's going to play or who's not going to play that maybe we don't know? Well, I'm pretty close to it. And I don't know for sure because he hasn't gone through the last exam from the doctors. I think that is a cam rising effect, but I think that effect is they don't think he's playing because he hasn't been taking snaps. You know what I'm saying? Right. He hasn't been taking contact snaps. He's been taking snaps, just not contact stuff. So I, I think there's some of that. Now, on Friday afternoon, Ron, if he goes out and gets cleared by the doctors, well, the funny thing about lines is they can go back up, too. So I would bet if, if rising got cleared, that line might go back up maybe a little closer to seven or seven and a half. But we'll see. But I, I do think that's probably the big reason that we went from 10, that it went to seven and a half for a couple of weeks. And then or last week it was at six and a half. And then this week it's dropped down to four and a half. I just think that Vegas is uncertainty with where things are. But I, I'll tell you this, and I've said this all along. The team that runs the football is going to win the game on, on, on that next Thursday. Next, next week, 
the team that's able to control the offensive and defensive lines and run the football is going to win it. Because I know enough to know they're not going to ask Graham Mertz to throw it 50 times. That's not what they want to do. And I can tell you from Cam Rising, even if Cam Rising plays, they're not going to ask Cam Rising to throw it 50 times. Utah's got its best offensive line since 2016. They're deep at running back. I think they're going to want to get physical at the line, and I'm pretty sure that's what Florida probably wants to do too instead of put the hand solely in the ball in the hand of Graham Mertz. So I think that game is going to be determined not on the outside but on the inside in the trenches. For sure. Finally, Bill, um, I'm going to come out to the game, and I know some other Gator fans that are listening are. What channel can we listen to you on out there? I am on 700 AM and 92.1 FM here in Salt Lake City. That's the ESPN 700 and 92.1 FM is the flagship. If you're coming out here and you want to put your earbuds in during the game and listen, I would certainly love it. And uh, I've got lots of friends that are Gator fans from my six and a half years living and working in Jacksonville. So I think some of them are coming out too. So uh, expect a good hospitable turnout when you guys get here. And (laughs) if you need some good places to hit up to get some beers and food before the game, just let me know. Fantastic. Bill, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey, travel safe, Ron. We'll see you out here next week. All right, Bill Riley, Voice of the Youth. Hey, let's get back in and talk some sports with Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. The Ozone is brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. They turn scrap metal into cash. What do you say, Ronnie O? All right. Right now, the Steelers are laying it on the Falcons 24 to nothing right now in their final preseason game. And the Colts and Eagles are tied at seven right now. Well, speaking of that, Coach Joe, the Bucks are going to host the Ravens tomorrow night, 6 p.m. pregame, 7 o'clock kickoff, right here on WLKF 96.7. On next Thursday night, the Florida Gators will travel to Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City, Utah, 4,200 feet above sea level to take on the Utes of Utah. It'll be an 8 p.m. kickoff Eastern time, 5 p.m. pregame. And Sunday, September 3rd, Florida State is going to host LSU in Orlando, 7.30 kickoff, 5.30 pregame, right here on WLK. Of course, the Gators will be right down the dial on 101.7 W-O-N-N, 107.1, I apologize. And uh, the Gators will uh, kick it off. So, Coach Joe, I'm hearing that the ACC is thinking of adding Stanford, Cal, and SMU. Clearly, geography is not their strong suit. So, now, let me ask you this. Here's what I've heard of the deal. Okay, the impetus for this is that the Notre Dame athletic director is buds with the Stanford athletic director, and he wants to bring them in because they are their patsy. You know, they can they play them. This is a traditional game. We play them every year, and we beat them every year. So we, we like that, and we can get out to the West Coast. We were able to recruit out there. So they're going to bring them in. Well, they are so desperate to join a conference that SMU – the deal would be for them, okay, all you guys are going to pay money to join the ACC, which we would give to Florida State and Clemson to placate them, and SMU, you get no television money for seven years, and 
I don't know what the deal is with Stanford and Cal, but I would bet you it's something similar. Now, how does that make any sense? Well, it, it, uh, it's like you said, <laughs> there's a desperation involved in such a setup. I, I don't see that actually happening. You know, SMU could today be a member of the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 could have been intact after a couple of years ago if they had expanded like they were hoping to do. And it was interesting that they didn't have a consensus, and the two major opponents to that expansion, USC and UCLA, <laughs> obviously had an agenda of their own. And now here we are. Uh, yeah, there, there's an Notre Dame angle to that the flirtation with the ACC. Ultimately, I don't think it'll be workable, and it doesn't sound like the uh, the TV people, the ESPN or and, and the ACC network, the contract that that sort of has the ACC and its teams all tied up right now. They, I don't know that they're that interested in it. They certainly don't seem to be interested in throwing any more dollars at it. And and so uh, you wouldn't be excited to bring in Cal and Stanford and both of their fans. <laughs> Well, you know, they ESPN doesn't need to because they don't really they have other ways of of getting that West Coast audience really, uh, and and it has it could, because they had all those Pac-12 after dark games and that, those were pretty it worked pretty well for them, but uh, right now the ESPN has a limited amount of money to spend, you know, and uh, uh, they they can't be expanding right now. You, you, conferences can expand. But really, the only reason to expand is to bring in more money, more revenue. Right. And the only reason to do that is because an expanded conference is more appealing to the TV network that owns the rights to it because you have great matchups to put on. But there's a limit, and we've reached the point of almost <laughs> no return. There's not an unlimited amount of money out there for the networks to spend, especially ESPN. Well, let me. I heard something thrown out today that was very interesting in that he said, all right, say, take, for example, the Big Ten. All right, the Big Ten wants more money. Do they go to, say, Rutgers and Indiana and say, you know, you guys, we're going to kick you out. We don't want you anymore. We're going to take your share and give it to the other schools that are bringing in more television revenue. I mean, maybe you could go to every conference and do that. Do you go to Vanderbilt and Mississippi State, say, in, in the SEC or in the ACC? you got several teams that you might do that too. Do you do you see that happening? Well, conferences have always shared the revenue, even though some teams carry the ball the farthest, you know, and it, that's always been the case where, you know, certain teams that aren't great in football but bring value in other ways to the conference, uh, and, and they're in the conference because of the uh, ability to share revenue and they, they get something out of it. Uh, you know, things change. Uh, we think of ex this conference expansion as, as if conferences had, had been co complete and unaltered for years and years. But, you know, the SEC, if you look at what it was 50 years ago, doesn't look anything like it looks now. You look back 30 years, it looks a lot different. You look back 10 years, it seems like every uh, 10 to 15 years there's a, there's a sea change in the conference, at least in the uh, SEC. I think the big difference here, Ronnie, is with the expansion, it has to come from somewhere. And and somebody's being left out of this, of this, uh, you know, musical chairs game. Right now, it's the pack four, pack twelve, <laughs> pack eight, pack four, <laughs> because uh, and be, because they're going to where the money is, which isn't out on the west coast. It's it's in the middle of the country or in the southeast. Well, you know, they they always say, well, we got to get that Los Angeles market in there. Well, 
60% of the population lives east of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So when you're playing those games that are lasting till 1.30 or 2 in the morning Eastern time, the East Coast is not watching those football games for the most part. Some people might stay up that late, but I don't think they're – I think they're missing that point. Yeah, you, you know, there, there's a, there is an audience for the late nights stuff, uh, especially if, you, if you're a fan of the teams. But, you know, even ardent football fans like you and me, Ronnie, you know, uh, we, we start fairly early in the day and around noon, yeah. and there's great matchups throughout the day. Plus, you know, we're always cognizant of when the Gators play. And by the time you get to 10, 11 – you know, you've got nothing left. <laughs> and so those of us, all that population here on the East Coast, uh, even the most compelling matchups, uh, I think I stayed up once last year, and it was for that, you know, you're talking to the Utah broadcaster, that Utah-USC game was an amazing game. It's funny, I that stayed one, up for that, that same that game. That one was worth staying up for. It was, <laughs> boy, that was exciting, really exciting. Well, I got one for you. I'd like to hear the audience chime in on this. The loudest stadium you've ever been in. And for me, I hate to admit it, but the loudest I've ever heard a stadium was <clears throat> I was at the Florida-Tennessee game in Knoxville, and this was like 1990. And I think we were down 10-3 at the half. In the second half, they had a guy named Dale Ellis. He returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown. And there were over 100,000 people there in, in Neyland Stadium. And that's the loudest I've ever heard, that stadium. The next loudest would have to be Florida Field. To me, the 97 game against FSU. And, of course, the uh, 2006 game, the block against South Carolina, those were really loud. I wasn't there for that Auburn game in, like, when was that, 2008 maybe? No, it was was you talking about the Much one more uh, 2019? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Were you yeah. there in that game? No, I wasn't there for that. I've been told by people who were there that's as loud as they've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, but uh, a lot of those people weren't there in 97. And also don't forget the 19th, the return trip to Tennessee when uh, Spurrier challenged – return trip to the Swamp against Tennessee when Spurrier challenged oh, the fans 91? to be loud in 91. And it yeah, was a night yeah. Game. That was insanely Larry loud. Larry Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah, I remember watching that game with some people who were, who were visiting from out of the country – and they were, you know, stunned at how loud it was in there. <laughs> that that was that was uh, epically loud. And uh, the '94 SEC ch- championship game in Atlanta that was a really great game. And it was the first time that it was inside because the first two were played outdoors at Birmingham. And the electric atmosphere and the noise and the tension and tension of that game really uh, gave gave you an idea of just how big this could be. You know, this this idea of a conference championship game. Hey, this is something really special now. <laughs> so, you know, I remember the first couple were, were good games, but they, it just it got it became something incredible, incredible once they moved it in, into uh, Atlanta and put it indoors. Oh, Birmingham was awful. It, yeah, was, the weather it was a was neutral terrible. city, of yeah. course, <laughs> you know, because it wasn't in Tuscaloosa. So that made it a neutral city. And uh, my grandson, my son and I went to that game. We went to 92 and 93. And in 93, you know, when we won, we are going to buy a T-shirt from this guy outside the stadium. Well, evidently they were unlicensed T-shirts <laughs> because a cop came up, started approaching, and just as I'm handing the guy the money, he throws the sh- all the shirts down, <laughs> and he throws my money down. So we just picked up the shirts, <laughs> and we got free shirts out of nice. it. Nice. <laughs>
But since we're talking about loud stadiums, let me let me put in a quick shout out uh, for the Orange Bowl, where I spent many a game, the Dolphins games and the Hurricanes games in the mid '80s. So some epic battles there, and especially at night, that stadium could get incredibly loud and shake and rattle. Like, <laughs> and it, 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 there's there's several several times where. The games had to be stopped because the crowd was so loud. And I, I was part of some of those crowds, too. <laughs> I was there in 85 when the Gators beat Miami down there, and it was pretty loud that day. Yeah, I was there in 87 when they beat us 31-4, to <laughs> Yeah, that was a day game. It, was, it wasn't the same. Yeah. It was unbelievably hot. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and then it, and it wasn't that great of a game. But, yeah, when, they, when, they, you, when you go to a game at the Orange Bowl at night, it was it was something different and something special, you know. Like in uh, the last time the Gators played there at night, I believe it was '03, in that uh, game, the uh, Chris Leak played for the first time. Brock Berlin ended up rallying him. That was a crazy game because there were such shifts in momentum. Yeah, but it was really loud too. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we might just have your opportunity to go out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House and take thirty dollars off your tab. All you got to do is tell us the answer to our sports quiz. And we'll be back with that. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. This is Van Green, former Auburndale Bloodhound, Shaw University Bear, Cleveland Browns, and Buffalo Bill. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in Ozone. Ozone. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone, brought to you by Allied Scrap processors all right van green just one of the great guests that we've had over the years and uh, remember we told you you should be listening to what we were saying all right here's your chance we are going to send one lucky listener out to miller's lakeland ale house located at 5650 south florida avenue here in lakeland and you can go out there you can eat and drink whatever you want take advantage of their drinking meal specials and you can watch your favorite sporting event on one of the 40 strategically located television sets. And all you got to do is if you haven't won the last six months, and we've got a list, then all you got to do is tell us the answer, and you can go out there and eat and drink what you want. Take $30 off your tab. All right, sports quiz, 682-1430 is the number to call, 682-1430. Remember we were talking about Lynn Dawson. Originally a Steeler, fifth overall pick. Bobby Lane beat him out. Milt Plum beat him out when he went to the Browns. So he goes to the AFL. He's playing for the Dallas Texans. Well, the Dallas Texans win the AFL championship over the Houston Oilers. What team did the Dallas Texans eventually become? They moved to a city other than Dallas. They won Super Bowl four. Hank Stram was their coach. 682-1430, if you can tell us the name of the team that Lynn Dawson played and starred for in the American Football League, and then later it became the AFC. You know, Ronnie, uh, you and I talked about this earlier this week, and I don't know if you got a chance to, to look at it, but I did. It's on Netflix right now, and that is, of course, Swamp Kings the story of the Urban Meyer years at the University of Florida and the Gators football team. I liked it. First off, I want to say I liked it. And if you're worried that it's a hit piece, actually, it's kind of the opposite. And I got to be honest here. They really gloss over the bad stuff. <laughs> they did. And you know what I think happened there? I think Urban Meyer, in order for him to agree to do it, 
he had to have editorial control to some extent. And uh, I think Tim Tebow probably had that as well. And uh, I, I saw where Cam Newton came out, and he was mad because Chris Leak didn't get more mention. And I think Cam was mad because the next one, you know, they're going to have a laptop toss, <laughs> and uh, Cam's going to be the champion in the laptop <laughs> toss. So. Well, they did mention all the great players that came in in the eighty, uh, the '06 and '07 recruiting classes, and, and there, there was a ton of talent, including Cam Newton. A lot of people forget that, and they they even showed the touchdown that Cam Newton scored for the Gators against Tennessee in '07, uh, and it, when it looked like everything was was going to be great. Uh, but it, it was it, I thought it was well done. But you're right; it was definitely the Urban Meyer rehabilitation project. All right, we got a caller. It's hungry and thirsty. Tracy, how are you tonight? Oh man, I'm awesome. How are y'all? You sound hungry and thirsty. Oh, I am. I'm All right, ready. that's that's what we need. You ever yes. been out at the Ale House? Yes, I have, and it's an awesome place. They got great food. Totally agree with you. What team did the Dallas Texans become? Kansas City Chiefs. You're exactly right, Tracy. You're all yeah. over it. You're all yeah. over it. Yeah. A lot of relatives up in that area, between KC and St. Louis, up in Columbia, so Tiger Country. So they're all big Chief fans. And, well, congratulations to the world champion, defending world champs, the Chiefs. Yeah. yeah they're, uh, exactly. Wow. They're, probably they're going to be a contender again this year. Yeah, they got a good team, so. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. You, you know, it's interesting. The uh, Texans became the, the Chiefs, and now you have the Houston Texans. And uh, back in the day, it was the Houston Oilers who became the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. Remember, the Titans was the original name of the Jets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> gives me a headache that to think about crazy. it, Tracy. <laughs> Are the Chiefs your team? Well, not really. I mean, I'm, I, of course, being here in Florida, you have to pull for the, the Bucks, But before that, I was a big Dolphin fan. I like Bob Greasy and all the Mercury Morris, all those guys. So You can and pull for the I Dolphins. I have been to that stadium down there. I haven't been during a game, but um, I've um, I've marched in that field. I was in the Winterhaven Blue Devils band, 79. Um, I was a senior and uh, junior. We marched in the uh, – Orange Bowl parade down there. They paint the streets white. Yeah, by the stadium. We and uh, it was kind of crazy down there, but that was that was the good old days. It was it was kind of crazy around that stadium. I always thought they painted the street white like that uh, be, because it shown the TV lights better and it, it kind of lit. Yeah, up. I think you're right. And it was a lighting right. thing. Yeah, we <laughs> had to have all the chaperones had to march beside the band on each side because. <laughs> They had to keep people from, uh, you know, uh, reaching out and grabbing, grabbing. It, <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. kind of a rough area around there, as I recall. It, it, it is. It is. Yeah, that's you, for sure. yeah. I remember that when the when the Pope visited, he took the same route, and he had to have that specially built car. <laughs> I, it's crazy down there. That was a couple oh. years after that. I loved the Orange Bowl parade growing up, and that's so cool that you got to march in it. I always wish yeah, I could. Yeah, and I also got to march in the Rose Bowl parade. Wow, we got a yeah, celebrity that was our here. Senior year, yeah. Winter, we, Haven Winter Haven had a great band. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Parker was our band director, and he uh, he did a great job. And we got to go to we marched at Disneyland when we were there. Uh, went to Universal Studios, and 
um, it, it was really neat. It, it was, uh, I, I had a brass tuba, so my shoulder was pretty sore at the end of the parade. <laughs> well, what was your go-to song for the marching band? Oh, gosh. Uh, of course, we had our fight song that would always, you know, Winter Haven had their big fight song. Um, that devil in the blue dress? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we, yeah really? we did so much stuff back then. The bands are so small compared to when we we were there. We had like, we had a whole 747 jet that was full of chaperones and band members. And then we had part of another plane. And um, they had to tell the kids to all go back to their seat because the back of the plane was was going down. Um, <laughs> well, you, so, you guys must have had a pretty, if you had that many chaperones, you must have had a pretty rowdy crowd yourself. Oh my gosh, we had a, a great time. Um, but the band, our band, was bigger than the Michigan band. Wow. So yeah, Winter Haven had a big band back then. A lot of the schools did, but. Um, those were great times and going to all the football games. We got to go to Tampa and a lot of these, and of course, Lakeland and, and Auburndale. And we played, Oh, that there's nothing like it. I mean, I wish I would have played football, but it was great being in the band back then. Wow. Well, congratulations. And if you'll hang on the line, Eric will get your information. Mm-hmm. And, all right. Uh, thank you all so much. I enjoy your show. Y'all doing a great job. Well, thank Th- you very much. Thanks, Trace. Congratulations, man. All right. All right. Go Gators. Go Gators. Gators, a man of obvious good talent. Man, I like that guy. Right. So you're, you're going to go take care of the business out in uh, at Salt Lake City. Yes. Next week, I I'll, I'll stay here and, and anchor the anchor the, the ship. But we invite our, our listeners to as you're watching the the, the beginning of the game on uh, next Thursday to listen to the show too. Uh, let's make it a joint experience, like we're all watching it a little bit together. You know, uh, um, help us out there because Ronnie's going to call in too, right? That's correct, and if any Gators are going out there besides me, I like to listen to the game on the radio. It's on 700 AM, 92.1 FM. So if you go out to Salt Lake City, that's how you can listen to the game. Coach Joe will be here. He'll be holding down the fort, and I'll be calling in with a live report from Salt Lake City, Utah.